0: I like the um, I like heavy metal.
1: ever been on your end today because it's been fucking pissing it down all day and we had hailstones the size of absolute golf balls earlier really? like, smashing off the car windscreen damn
2: yeah it's been it's been windy and rainy it's kind of been weird weather all week though it's kind of been like tropical but not tropical like tropical weather in an untropical climate if you know what tropical i mean tropical lincoln yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah i don't know it's been like it'll rain for about 20 minutes and then get, be super windy and then it'll start hailing and then the sun's out and you're like oh oh it's nice now and then yeah before you've even realized it, it's back to what it was again and yeah it's been it's been all right today though like it's been fine it's been it's been a while all over the place I, i've i've been
1: um because it's been so windy recently Like I've I've been running a lot this week And every time I've decided to run It's been blowing a gale And that's like <laughs> the worst Like I can deal with rain um, But I just cannot deal with running into the wind Because it makes things so much worse Because mm. it like blows on your cheeks and makes everything so cold And so yeah this morning I did like hill runs up and down, like near my house, and it was run. It was like windy down the hill. So I'm already running against gravity. I'm then running against fucking sixty mile an hour winds or something like that. It's fucking horrendous, mate. Good for you. So yeah, yeah, that's what they say. Um, <laughs> before yeah, before we go too much further, I um I listened back to our episode like last week, and because we record obviously we, we, we press record and like we chat a lot sort of before and afterwards like i realized i didn't actually thank like i didn't thank lucas on the podcast last week <laughs> i sounded i thought i was sounded really rude myself so like i just wanted to say thanks to lucas for last week's episode and then also like and also obviously- fuck you liam <laughs> i know like yeah. i i am um, i i uh, because we talk quite a lot beforehand as well it, sometimes we start and i'm like uh like i never really ask how you are so on the podcast You're now, we're so self-indulgent how are you
2: <laughs> no mate i'm not telling you it's been it's been seven episodes now and you've never asked oh, me no, once. and
1: i've not asked how you are on air so yeah i was just so, uh crossing is, that off the this box. is
2: official from me to you fuck you <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I could deal with that. That's fine. No, um, I'm kidding. I'm sounding. How's your How'd week you...
2: been, man? Yeah. How, how's, how's your week been? Yeah, it's been fine. Just been doing... Um, been getting ready for a new Happy Days song to come out next Friday. Um, and then... Oh, sweet. Yeah, just doing bits, really. Like, watching a bit of football. Um, Did you watch Juve Porto? That's I, the main yeah, question for this week. Yeah, I was... See, I was flicking between um, Juve Porto and the Dortmund Sevilla game because... Yeah. I obviously, well, this is the thing like with the Juve Porto game, I must admit that I was maybe one of the people that thought Juve would just win 2 0 and it would be that,
0: mm-hmm.
2: that formality. But which is why I watched the Dortmund game, Severe, obviously notorious in Europe in the last like five to seven years. So I, I thought like that might be a bit more of an interesting game considering Dortmund are very hit and miss at the minute. And I thought yeah. if it was going to be one of those things where the Haaland story gets reinforced again. Um that would be an interesting one to watch. I also just like watching Sancho and when I saw Bellingham was in the lineup, I just wanted to I just wanted to watch that game. But I did flick yeah. into the Porto game and every time I flicked into the Porto game, I was always like two or three minutes after something significant had happened. <laughs> um but then I did watch the extended highlights on B T and yeah. what a game.
1: Oh mate, it was it was insane. It was like that goalkeeper. Do, do you ever-
2: yeah, do you, do you ever dual screen games as well? Like have two, like two on at once. Sometimes I sometimes I put one on the TV and then put the other one on my phone. I, I can't
1: do that. I've never been able to do yeah. that. I don't think I've ever like watched two games at once and enjoyed either because like my attention is my attention span is not strong enough to be able to hold like two shapes at one time. So and I, I mean. went for I saw the um I think I I missed the first like twenty minutes of the UVA Porto game because I was watching a film and then I caught that um. Uh, porto had gone 1-0 up and i was like right okay i need to turn this on now so i quickly switched it on and it was the best game i've watched for months yeah like the outcome was excellent and all the lead up like to the inevitable like to the final outcome throughout the game it just built and built and built and and the tension was just there's a lot it's an outstanding game of football
2: there's a lot to be said about the story of that as well isn't there? considering i mean we've already sort of texted each other about it how like um that andrea agnelli that's sort of you know mm. trying to lead the champions league reform to be the closed competition and say that all these other clubs aren't glamorous or big enough to to be in it or whatever and it shouldn't have relegation it should just be i mean that in itself like it, it got me thinking like where doesn't that just kill like the beauty of football and the narrative of football oh, massive and, and in the last yeah, three massive, years yeah. that Port juventus have gone out to what is it leon so it's it's Leon Porto and Ajax. That's it. was it. that
1: Colin 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 Miller tweeted it. That he's yeah, it yeah, as a, yeah. Uh, author of, and he he put that. Yeah, that the last three years they've gone out to Ajax in the last eight, I think, and then Leon last sixteen, and now Porto last sixteen. All three teams are not deemed big enough. Yeah, which by is Agnelli to go into absolute, the absolute is ludicrous, isn't big. it?
2: But then I think as well, like it sort of it it projects these other. Thing you know, projects these other sort of even retrospective narratives onto the wall of like, all right. So if they go ahead with that and that happens, not only do like the the stories of football and surprise you know like Leicester having a good year and winning the Premier League and then getting mm-hmm. in the Champions League it all but kills that it do you remember that year in France that Montpellier won the league and then obviously in the Champions uh, yeah. League yeah with the uh, Olivier Giroud yeah was, like, outstanding yeah, yeah. dad get fourth and um are in the Champions League like mm-hmm. it all but kills that and especially teams like Ajax when they go on a good run like you know when teams over the years build up this momentum and they get this sort of um I guess philosophy is a bit of a loose word in football nowadays, but, you know, they get this sort of, like, culture going. You know, the Ajax team that had DeLitt, lit De Jong, Neres, uh, Tadic, um, Ziyech, like, van der Beek playing really well and actually getting game time. Um, but just a great team and, like, having a great year and rolling up to a giant and just rolling them over. Turn them over, and yeah. And it's like, <laughs> why would you want to get rid of that? It also begs the question as well, furthermore, is... Would we get to a point in football where, on a Saturday evening, you'd be like, "Oh, what games are on today? Ah, oh, United, Barcelona in the European Super League." Yeah, for the yeah time for the fourth month. time this month. It takes <laughs> away the beauty of like going in it yeah. being an occasion. Like the Liverpool, the Liverpool result when they when they overturned it and won four 0 at Anfield. Like that's a magical occasion because. Of what's happened and it's so it's far like a apart once in a generation. It thing, is, yeah. but then again, as well, another thing that it, it comes on to as well. And um, Gabriel, Mar- I don't know if he said this, but I'm going to interpret it a little bit like that. Um, okay. He sort of like went on the lines, but you know, Gabriel Marcotti is, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. A- a- ESPN, so, and
2: yeah. That. So he, because obviously he, you know, primarily an Italian football reporter, he was saying um, that the whole story about Juve this year is, you know, they they sacked Sari. They could have gone out and spent a lot of money on a big name but they didn't because the pandemic hit, it's a club in transition, they're trying to adopt a new style. So they went and got Perlo, who, you know, for all it's, it's being said, he wrote this mental dissertation on coaching and football and, and philosophy and style. And it's supposed to be like a revolutionary piece of work in itself. And then he goes and has a tough year. If, to be honest, of course, he's going to have a tough year. It, like, Juventus is a club in transition. But, it, it, you know, he was saying like, they're buying into this new way of football. And it also begs the question, one, that's a process, and processes obviously have to be stuck to. But does that mean, you know, Juventus, won the, they won this Serie A, like what, nine, nine years in a row, is it, before? They're probably not going to win it this year, but nine years mm. in a row up to now. And then we start seeing AC and Inter Milan coming up. Does it beg the question that were Juventus actually that good, or was the Italian league just a little bit off? And if so, well, are they being made out to be... A bigger force than they actually are, or is that there's, very ignorant? There's a
1: lot of teams that steamroll in their domestic leagues and then don't turn up. I say don't turn up. They just don't don't succeed in the Champions League because the Champions League is extremely hard to win. Yeah, and so course. you've seen Manchester City have hundred point seasons and then get turned over in, and well, they got turned over by Leon. Yeah, next, they got, got know, beat in by the Leon. Yeah, finals. So it's it's very difficult for. A team to win the champions league i think it was it was even like Bayern two seasons ago i think of the bundesliga and then they lost a little yeah in like the yeah last eight yeah you know like they were really really poor obviously the next season they go on and they win it they look like a team that just cannot be beaten but like the thing with the i guess that like the european super league thing this kind of concept like the kind of trap like the closed door at the bottom it takes this kind of snapshot of what football looks like now and attempts to just keep it the same forever. Yeah, well, it like kills competition. Look, it's There's no yeah, point you, in it. If you tried to do that in the 80s, you would have Forest in there, probably Villa. You'd have teams like Red Star Belgrade in there, maybe. They're not in Europe. Aberdeen. Very regularly. <laughs> Aberdeen, they're not right. in Europe very regularly. If yeah. you do it in in the 90s, you'll have teams like Dynamo Kiev, Rosenborg, maybe like constant Champions League mainstays that now aren't there. If I, I've just looked up what the... Um, I think there's, there's, a, there's a couple of articles, a Bleacher Report have of, of reported on who they think would be in the, in the European Super League. They've got Panathinaikos in there. Panathinaikos haven't made the Champions League since 2009. Yeah, so what is that there's about? Another... Like the, I, I heard that,
2: the legacy spots. It's like, fuck
1: off. Yeah. Yeah. The Sun thinks Schalke should be in there.
0: Mm, That's Germany's third... I don't know third why it like, even bothers to club. look at the Sun. They're but... <laughs> bottom of the,
1: They're like historically bad in the Bundesliga. If you take these kind of snapshots, it doesn't... The longevity is not there. Like, it doesn't. that's not how sport works. Yeah. It's, it's, like, cyclical. You have, you know, like Manchester United have had... They'll have, like, a great decade, then a not-so-good decade, then maybe a great decade again. It goes in waves, right? So you can't just... You can't just close the door, pull up the ladder behind but, you. I know that it, it's all about it, money, but... It, it, <laughs> it doesn't
2: work. No, it doesn't work at all. Going back to the Juventus thing briefly, lodged before we carry on, is, yeah. you, know, you know, when a team either gets bought out or they have like a bit of a, a reset and a starting point again and like, you know, PSG by Neymar and Mbappé, there's one goal in it, that's to win the Champions League. Real Madrid yeah. by Hazard, there's one goal of it to keep winning the Champions League. Like, you know, Liverpool invest in these two or three big players and over three years, the one goal is win the Champions League. And obviously, other than the World Cup and the FIFA Club World Cup, which isn't really that big a competition anyway, but like... The one goal is to always win the Champions League. And I guess that's the other thing with the Juventus is and I guess I'm probably slightly contradicting my point here. Well, not that I ever had a point, but whatever. <laughs> is <laughs> they got to the final against Barcelona in the peak of Messi Suarez Neymar. They had Paul Pogba yeah. at full tilt. They had Maratta playing really well. Did they still have was Perlo still playing then? They yeah, they, was, I think they 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 had reached, a good team. Yeah, they had a good team. And then again they reached it when Manzukic scored that ridiculous that goal. It. it was in Cardiff, yeah. wasn't it? Ronaldo scored. That was in Cardiff. To yeah. like, they've got to the Champions League final twice. So it can't be said that they've not invested, built teams to go and try and win the Champions League because they've got so close. But for their for their chairman to be leading it, being like, you know, it's got to be this closed competition and we're so ever so glamorous. It's like mate, like twelve years ago, you got relegated the to Serie B, like with and lost all your players because you were fucking match fixing and all that it's like (laughs) come on you're basically taking football out of fans hands which even all footballers are saying now you know they're probably used to it now but they're all saying like it's boring without fans it's not the same you know imagine there's no fans ever in football what's the point like imagine it's the kind of the same thing they're just taking football out of the fans out of the hands of fans and just putting it in the banks i guess like and just an attempt yeah, to money It's machine. like where's the fun in it? It's it's, pain, it's painful to read.
1: Right. Okay. This week we have Mo in air quotes, Gavin Edgeley from uh, Lonely the Brave. So Mo was Mo was kind enough to come on. He was a great laugh. He had a lot to say about his beloved Everton. Um we also chatted a little bit about um ambulance driving. <laughs> so this yeah. is our interview with with uh with Mo Edgley from from Lonely the Brave. yeah Mo thanks thanks for joining us today this is this is going to be good fun I think um yeah, an Everton fan right so you're the first Everton fan we've had we've had on yeah. um we're recording on Derby Day <laughs> so yeah. this is yeah. going to be a nervous podcast record um <laughs> first of all uh, let's let's talk a bit about the the new album I suppose because I mean primarily we're a football podcast but we we will dabble in a little bit of music now and again because of the guests that we have on so the new record is called the hopeless can you just do you want to talk us through the album a little bit just tell us a little bit about it
3: um yeah we um recorded it over the space of a couple of years um it took a lot longer than we thought obviously because of everything that was going on um so we had to take a little break in actually getting it finished but yeah we pieced it together over a couple of years and it's like a miracle that it got done really um but just finding the time to actually go and do it when you're sort of all working full-time jobs and that, you know, that's not, a, oh, poor me. I'm still lucky to do it. About. <laughs> <laughs> it's a state oh, of music right oh, now, tough. though, isn't it? Yeah, it is, yeah. Um, but, like, so many other bands are going through that at the minute as well. Um, just a stagnant year, really. But somehow we, we managed to put a record out sort of towards the end of it. So, yeah, pretty lucky.
2: Do you feel like because it took a few years that the end product you're way happier with i'm not obviously saying the other albums you wouldn't be happy with but because it's taken so long is it a bit more of an achievement that you've got it to this point and it seems to have been received really well yeah i read definitely. something the other day that said uh on i think it was on nme and it said lonely the brave have proved their longevity but it's like well you've been a band for 10 years so how does not that just speak fourteen. for itself yeah. 14 Jesus. Yeah, yeah yeah even then
3: it it depended um it depended how long uh we had been together judging by who was asking so if major labels were asking <laughs> art, we were a new band you know right any anything yeah. anything to sort of like lie through your teeth just to get just to get a decent deal i suppose but back then anyway um, <laughs> tricks of the yeah, trade um, yeah <laughs> yeah just lie through your teeth mate you can go far <laughs> um but it, it literally took two years to for us to be happy with it i mean we had mixes coming through a lot obviously a lot earlier like a year before or something like that and just trying to trying to piece everything together but you, you're right on what you in what you say i'm much happier with this one than i there was in the previous ones certainly the middle one because the middle one was so rushed once you're sort mm. of once you ascending as it were you um you just have to put content out all of the time it, it's that it, labels, you know
2: yeah I, I mean i remember like 2016 2017 i remember seeing lonely the brave uh, you know you were getting those like main stage main festival like
0: yeah
2: sort of uh placements and like you say i guess at that point when you're on that on that sort of platform and you're like oh we're getting these shows we're getting these bookings it, you, you're you as good as what, what you've already put out, so you need to keep going to try and capitalise on it. Do you feel like that like affected you as a band at all? Or?
3: Probably did a bit, actually, yeah. It was... People expect so much of you, certainly the people that are paying wages and things, that you, mm-hmm. you, you, you I think you probably try too hard. Um, I certainly did. Um, but you try so hard that it's to the detriment of, of your music. Um, you're just rushing through, trying to get stuff out for the sake of it without like with the first record the old cliche you've got your whole life to write your first record and, and we sort of did have took took a time with that um and then the second, and now you've got no
2: time to write your second <laughs>
3: Got absolutely no time whatsoever but, yeah. yeah um yeah it's i don't know i don't i don't regret any of that kind of stuff i, I was old enough to appreciate what i was going to have to do to sort of get the band where it was anyway it's a lot of shaking hands and a lot of saying yes to things at the time just to be able to still be a band eventually you know and we're still here when a lot of a lot of others aren't so i'm just grateful that we went through it all well approved by enemy in terms of longevity
2: well, that's
0: something, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> all you can sure ask for i've approved it but <laughs> <laughs> fucking hell
2: so yeah um i read also that you uh you've been driving an ambulance or like you you are driving an ambulance at the minute or is have you been doing that for a while or is it something that you picked up especially when the pandemic
3: sort of picked um, up no <laughs> when you say are uh, you driving it at the minute that'd be a bit dodgy wouldn't it yeah right <laughs> <laughs> call. Cool. be quiet back. <laughs> um no i was i was doing it beforehand uh when when we were kind of deciding in what direction to go with um you know, with our band and stuff, and getting a new singer and and that kind of thing. Uh, I needed something to tide me over because I don't I don't sit well just sort of sitting around the house doing nothing. I just tend to get into trouble and go out and just sit in pubs permanently. Uh, so I have to keep myself busy, and that was when I got the opportunity to go and do a little bit of training. And um, yeah, and they just chucked me just chucked me in the ambulance, and I've been doing it for about two years ever since, two and a half years now probably. Uh, absolutely love it. It's amazing. It's amazing what you see and what you actually go through um, compared to other people's sort of days. It's not trying to yeah. say it's better. It's, it's 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 a lot worse in some respects. Oh, no, yeah, right. Um, but I just absolutely, yeah, I absolutely love the job. It's great. Do you
2: get do you ever get like a really sick patient and you're just blasting whatever tunes you want in the front and just
3: yeah yes I'm, I'm often playing like new demos to the end of life patients in the back but... <laughs> hang Get on their minute.
1: really honest opinion on it in
3: the back <laughs> hang on listen to this middle eight <laughs> yeah um no oh tend God. to have tend tend to have classic fm on does the chill do? yeah
2: yeah Carmen, ride to the ho- to the hospital. Yeah, we were um
1: we were talking on a, on on the call just before we kind of started recording, Mo. And um, I guess your days are very different to because I think I I kind of start some of these conversations with how's life, how's things. Lockdown's very boring, isn't it? But yours clearly isn't. <laughs> so you get a very different. Your your days are very different to what to what the majorities are. At the moment. you obviously see a lot more, just a bit different than than the norm, I suppose. Yeah, Mo. yeah,
3: it's it's. It's it's a lot different to what you see, like in the news and stuff like that. I mean, the, the the thing that the NHS are doing is just remarkable. Really, just you know, keeping the heads up, keeping their heads up, and just getting on with it, and just working ridiculously hard, and just trying not to get stressed out about it all. Really, mm-hmm. um, it's like there's a real camaraderie, Danny Kadamari as I keep on thinking. <laughs> <laughs>
2: it must be um it must be like considering as well like the nhs it just seems to be banded around the press like a toy like oh the nhs mm. is underfunded here or you know it's it yeah. for everything that it does and it is doing right now i feel like it's really it of i mean sure people can clap and stuff i'm not sh- i'm not saying don't clap but like i'm not sure what 100 of 200 people down the street clapping is really gonna do well, in the long term it of it
3: stupid, isn't it <laughs> yeah that's what I saw when I was looking out of my window I, was, I don't know I found the whole thing cringy to be honest with you yeah uh, it's, it's... and that's I'm i am not thinking it from like my perspective either I'm thinking of it from like nurses perspective nurses that are on the ward tending to patients like Bush our bass player he's a nurse he's really really in the thick of it oh okay 12 hours a day you know I'm I go in I go on to wards and take people out as opposed to mm. having to having to sort of like look after them all the time. Um, So I've I've always thought about that clapping stuff as, you know, I don't think the nurses even like it. Um, (laughs) Maybe you should show appreciation in other ways, but I don't know, it tended to make people that were clapping feel better, I think.
1: Yeah, so what does what does like a normal, like um, I say normal, what does a a day in the life of, you know, kind of an ambulance driver look like? How how, how does the day start? How does, how did it end? Um, How
3: long are the days? I do twelve-hour days. Right. I do four a week at the moment. I was doing five, but I burnt myself out because you know, after all said and done, you're looking at about sixty hours a week, um, and I'm not getting any younger. So <laughs> I, um, I've cut it. I've cut it down dramatically. Um, dramatically, that's a new word. Isn't it? Dramatically, it's a new word. <laughs> add that to the dictionary. Dramatically, Hannah. Yeah. Dramatically, write that down. <laughs> um, and it's. At the moment, it just involves going onto the wards with with either a stretcher or a wheelchair and just taking whatever the patient needs and taking them out, essentially Mm -hmm. either to care homes or home. Um, They tend to be COVID all day at the minute, as you'd expect, that much is true. Um, And then either taking them to care homes, like I said, or taking them home or transferring them to different hospitals, depending on what their needs are. And you just go on from from one to the next one, really, and it just sort of merges into one long day of moving, moving patients. It's noble. It's, no, it's noble work, definitely. I've
1: got a friend of mine who I used to live with at university. He's gone on to do, he did like a paramedic course and he's an ambulance driver and um, I think he works like, uh, he does a lot of the the St John stuff at St Mary's down at uh, down in Southampton. So he works a lot oh, of the, a lot of the games. So yeah, he'll he'll put in a WhatsApp group every now and again, uh, just a picture of an empty stadium and a, and a football grad and his sort of luminous jacket, and that's yeah. what he's doing that evening. So oh, yeah, wow. it's um yeah, it's tough work. I suppose that's there's our little pivot onto football now. I suppose <laughs> so not oh, a <laughs> drastic I'm- right oh, oh. turn. I suppose <laughs> I thought I got there with the uh, Danny Catamardery. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a name I haven't heard in in forever, really, Danny Cadbury. So, yeah,
3: well, well done for it Always comes up on him. Derby Day.
1: <laughs> so how how did you come on to, to find Everton, or how did you come on to fall in love with Everton? Then
3: um, I tend to just obsess over certain things all the way through all the way through my life since I was a really small child, mm-hmm. um, and somehow I just I got obsessed with Neville Neville Southall. Oh, okay, goalkeeper. Yeah, to the point of and i mean obsession if i could have driven i'd have been looking for his house that's how bad it was <laughs> when i was really young everything about him i just loved from what he from what he stood for certainly what he stands for now um yeah oh definitely slowly became my hero um started goalkeeping joined uh, joined all the local teams and everything bar hill near cambridge uh, went in goal there wasn't good enough, so they stuck me as a substitute goalkeeper, which is pretty sad, really, considering I was about eight years old. I mean, did no. they need a substitute goalkeeper? No, <laughs> they didn't really, did they? Um, and it just it just escalated from there. I used to go to um, Cambridge United quite a lot at the Abbey Stadium. Mm-hmm. My uncles of that, but I could I could never be swayed. Half of my family were actually from Halifax, so I've got links to there, and the other half is from sort of Suffolk and Cambridgeshire area. so I was sort of stuck in the middle a little bit um and I latched onto this obsession and it's I must have been f- probably five, six, seven years old or something like that okay and i've still got I've still got it to this day really really bad. it's still, still an obsession because you don't choose it you know no please you don't you don't choose ever and Everton chooses you and it's just, <laughs> because. <laughs> In pretty much all of that time, I've had one trophy to celebrate, which was the '95 FA Cup. So, yeah. Yeah. so it's, what? Um, what season was it
1: that you that you found that you sort of fell in love with the club?
3: It was late '80s. Okay. Um, I can remember it's a long time ago. Obviously, I can remember playing Liverpool loads and loads, and Ian Rush making me cry and <laughs> be consoled by my family permanently. Um, so it would have been all the way through probably 87 going through to the 90s which I absolutely loved it and then the Premier League obviously happened which gave football sort of everywhere gave it to the world you know Mm -hmm. um, for the better and for worse in some aspects but
2: Recording this on Derby Day as well, like, you know, this is something that we sort of picked up on. Like, the Merseyside Derby used to be known as the friendly Derby, and uh, not so much anymore. So, how have you sort of seen that change over the years?
3: It just seems to have just escalated and got got a lot worse. Um, I don't think it helps Liverpool sort of getting better every season and probably a bit of resentment. I say a bit, you know.
2: Did you enjoy that Pickford challenge this
3: year then? Oh god. He's had a mare, hasn't he? I mean. Oh yeah. He's had a complete mare and but I don't know. I don't I shouldn't wish him dead for something like that. That's happened to so many Everton players, you know. Well, going back to last season when Gomez went down against Spurs. Um it happens. It was reckless. He probably should have been sent off. I say probably. Um and that should be the end of it, really. But to keep bringing it up or, you know all these so long afterwards and and saying that you'd be winning you'd still be a top of the league if you had uh, Van Dyke in the center of defense I think there's a lot there's a lot more wrong with Liverpool than just missing a center oh, half
2: a I, I agree I think the knock-on effect of it's been it has been quite seismic but at the same time. It's that you know they've brought that Thiago in, and a lot of people. I've seen a lot of people saying that they've Liverpool have turned from heavy metal football to lift music football. Yeah, because he's like slowed
3: down the pace. But yeah, game yeah. down. Yeah, I was I was yeah. reading about that the other day. There was a lot of people saying that. Um, there, every team has injuries. We've got we've got loads of players out at the minute as well. We've got Alan out. He's been out for quite a while. He's really important to us. He's a very good player, um, yeah, to, to begin yeah, with. Yeah, he's absolutely fantastic considering it's his first season as well, he hasn't been here very long. It takes a while to get get used to the game, obviously, in this country for some people. Um, everyone has injuries and I know most teams aren't defending a title like Liverpool are, but if you're gonna be if you're gonna defend a title and you're gonna win the league a season before, have the squad depth to cope with it, essentially because that's what you need.
2: Yeah. I mean it's it's sort of quite irresponsible on their part as well really thinking that you can go I mean they had a good 3 years Liverpool like to get to a Champions League final push City the next year right the way to the t- to the end then win the Champions League then win the Premier League yeah. to not to not like strengthen in that fourth season and have the squad depth to to, to sort of anticipate this season and the way yeah. that it has gone. It's quite poor planning for a team that's just done such good things. But Going back to it, I do think it is a little ridiculous for everybody to say that Pickford's challenge on Van Dijk is the reason Liverpool's season's
3: gone to shit. I don't agree with it at all. No, so. it's just a, it's a convenient narrative. That he is a yeah. goat, go. and You know, he doesn't help himself a lot of the time. But, no. I don't know, there's an irrational hatred of him, except when he plays for England, he seems to be quite well like then. But, and I think um, maybe the pressure's showing as well because the amount of mistakes that he's made it's a weird one isn't it because Pickford sort of came out of the blocks and it was like
2: when he was at the World Cup with England he was making some of the saves he was making were just off the scale like the penalty save was great I think remember there was that save in the in the Columbia game and he was stretching yeah. with his arm out and it like yeah. so far well, that's, was that's
1: like, often forgotten that because of the goal comes right after it but that save yeah. where it's right at the death of that game just before the corner yeah. such an outstanding piece of goalkeeping where he stretches so far out and manages to tip it over it was such a shame that the equaliser came like seconds afterwards, because otherwise that save would have gone down as one of the best in the World Cup. I think.
3: <laughs> yeah, still, yeah I mean, things get erased, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to make a world class save and then somebody scores and you're just like, well, might as well have not bothered saving it, maybe. <laughs> yeah, you'll be it was number was Mina three in the year, isn't well, anyway. it? It was, it was Yeri Mina that course, popped up and yeah. go right afterwards. Big
1: Yeri, yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. mm. how like with, with with I guess we're, we're kind of t- we're, we're talking about Liverpool and Everton now, and because it did it did used to be described as as this kind of friendly derby, because there was, I think there's, there was a documentary I watched at the start of lockdown last year, actually, where it's, I think it's old TV footage from the 1985 or 84, like milk yeah. cup final where Everton and Liverpool played at Wembley. And there's there's TV cameras that followed both sets of fans down. They were just traveling on the same mini buses down from yeah. Liverpool to London. And all the fans seemed to get on. It was in a time where, I think Liverpool was fairly ostracized by like the Thatcher government and it seemed to bond the two sets of fans together and now there's seems to be so much hatred between the two both the blue side and the red side of Stanley Park I suppose um yeah, it's crazy. how do you, like as it do you did you notice a change at any point because I don't think it, it seemed that it just kind of went from one extreme to the other at some point, And I can't pinpoint exactly where, because there was a few really, there was a few games sort of around the mid two thousands that were quite spicy affairs. I don't know whether those were the ones that changed the, t- like, turned the tide in it or not, but how do you feel the Derby is these days compared to what it was? I don't know. in sort of the nineties or eighties.
3: Um, well, I can remember for a start, even like through the early nineties and stuff that it used to be, used to see Liverpool supporters sitting with Everton supporters sitting together, you know, right, okay. they were family or friends and stuff like that. But I don't, I don't think they even do that anymore. You know, I haven't, mm-hmm. I haven't been to a Derby. It's one of the one games that I haven't been to and I never want to go either. Mm-hmm. Just through, just through what's been going on over the last 20 years with Everton. <laughs> the Derby is of no interest to me because I, I just, I can't back them during the Derby, but um it just seems to have got progressively worse. Mm. I, I can remember it all through the, the Walter Smith era, era at Everton as well when I was actually going to Goodison a lot. Um, it was a terrible standard of football back then and Liverpool were beating us pretty much every time as well from what I can remember. And then you had Fowler scoring all of the time and sniffing that line, if you remember that. <laughs> yeah. A long time ago. And it Iconic. Just, yeah, it just doesn't, it doesn't endear <laughs> players to opposition teams, but... Mm. You know, he'd have been, he'd have been getting as much grief from the others from the blue side, you know, that make him want to do that. And yeah, it's just I, I'm not sure how I can pinpoint how it's got worse over the last twenty years mm-hmm. personally. If people, you know, someone actually lived there, they'd probably tell you more of what it's like actually on the streets and stuff. But it just seems to have got progressively worse, um, just gradually over the years. I know. Yeah. You can, you can go back to some of the awful things that happened in the 80s and stuff, which I don't, really don't want to talk about. But it's always been a bubbling undercurrent. You know, there's always, it's almost like it's just about to go off. It's been like slowly getting like that for 20 years. And even from where I live and, you know, travelling around a lot and I, I notice it with every single Everton and Liverpool supporter that I have come into contact with. It's, it's just got gradually worse and doesn't seem like many have got time for each other anymore. And uh, I'm all for it. <laughs>
1: so you you said you've been to goodison quite a lot or you you sort of went during the 90s what's goodison like i've i've never been to goodison park so describe to me or, or describe to both of us what um what
3: a day out of goodison parks like um well when i first started going it was five quid to park just down the street um that, that's changed a lot from what i can gather i haven't been, i haven't <laughs> been for a few years now um and i just love the city Fell in love with the city the first time I went and be lucky enough to play there loads and loads as well. So we always always have a good mooch around when we're in town, when we're up there. But the stadium itself, first time I ever saw it, I was just in awe of it because I'd seen it for years and years until I was actually old enough to go because I didn't have any family that would ever look capable of ever taking me there. So I had to wait until I could actually do it myself. And I passed my driving test and I drove up there for the first time in this mini. And the only way you could get it to start was by get it started was get either pushing it or rolling down a hill <laughs> like some reason, classic first car yeah for some reason i thought yeah let's go all the way from the edge of cambridgeshire and uh, drive this mini that doesn't go over 60 all the way to um ever <laughs> to go and see a game <laughs> i can't remember what game that was the first one i drove to i think it was like it was sheffield wednesday or wimbledon something like that mm-hmm. um but yeah i had to get pushed like three times on the way back when I was like filling up with fuel and stopping just to get it started. I don't know what I was thinking at the time, but worth it because the stadium, you know, it's, it gets a lot of grief cause it's knackered. It's old, but it's just like a beautiful, it's like a beautiful old relic to me. Really. I've got a picture of it on the wall as well. Have you- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have. Yeah. And I just love it. And I'm, you know, loads of wooden seats in there as well. Um, oh, okay. just a beautiful old stadium. And it's going to be a real shame when it actually goes because it's history, it's historic, and there's not many of those stadiums left. And it'll be a real shame, even though, in the current climate, you really need to you really need to move and get a new stadium.
2: I mean, it looks exciting. The, definitely, the, the the graphics I've seen of it, it looks it looks very exciting. I like this yeah. new era of stadium where it's sort of like it's as big as it can be, but it's also as close as it can be, also. Yes. You know, like the Spurs ground where it's massive, but at the same time, you're as close to the pitch as you could possibly be at all times.
3: Yeah. Uh, I went there actually. I went there. I loved it. I loved it. I thought it was a fantastic stadium. I got a free ticket. I went, um, who was it? Was it Bayern Munich? It
2: was 7-2. Yeah.
3: Jesus. That was the the first time I'd been to that new stadium. I'd been to the old White Hart Lane, like three or four times. Um. That's, yeah, and every time I sort of looked up, there was another goal going in. It was a fantastic. That's game. a quite
1: a historic game because there you will have been <laughs> at a game where you know the French newspaper Lequipe they give out they're yeah. quite stingy with their out of, like ten out of ten ratings. They've yeah. only given out I think it's it's fifteen I think over the course yeah. of their history, and Nabry got a ten in that game for his four goals. So <laughs> you're yeah. you're at one of only fifteen games where someone's been given a ten by Lequipe. <laughs> right, and then
3: on the Magazine yeah and then
2: goes that then circulates that meme of tony pulis saying yeah serge nabry's not quite good enough to start
3: <laughs> yeah oh, that's right. i'd forgotten about that oh. yeah
2: <laughs> right so um next question is um everton and sort of like since since david Moyes really and like the long yeah. sort of he did have a bit of a, a you know a firm tenure at Everton and A good era, I think, David Moyes. Obviously, since then, there's been Roberto Martinez and Coleman and Marco Silva. I think we're sort of going to focus on Roberto Martinez and Coman. They seem to be the two, I'd say, most impressive and comfortable managers Everton have had since David Moyes. But now Ancelotti's sort of had a bit of time to make his mark. How do you feel about Everton today?
3: Uh, I love this Everton, to be honest. Um, I don't think it's perfect yet because I think it's important to remember that Ancelotti's only bought about three players in or something like that. I mean, big, yeah. you know, big, name, big name players, but he's still working with the fallout from um, Marco Silva, some of the players that he bought in as well, but may, mainly Clark, who was you know, in charge of loads of the rec- recruitment back then as well. So Ancelotti's still working with most of the players that weren't his own. You know, mm. that is, by no means is that his team um, it's just like putting jigsaws together all the time and having pieces missing and just trying to get on with it that's the way I see it some of the time but what he has done, I, I just think it's a phenomenal job at the minute um, there's just a, I don't know a fresh vibrance about the place, he's a winner he knows what he's doing I think trophy is going to be just too far for us this season and he still needs to put another stamp on the team uh, after watching that Man City game the other night, I can't, I can't see us getting through the cup. I'm, I'm going to back them and say, "Come on, we can do this and stuff." But <laughs> inevitably, the form that Man City are on, I can't really see us. Maybe we will. Maybe I'll be surprised. But who knows with Ancelotti? You know. I mean, I
2: feel like you've Everton have the players within the team that they, that I feel like they can offer that anything is possible. Type result like Calvert Lewin's a different, a different, complete different player this year. Richarlison, I feel like he's under the going under the radar a bit, but it takes him a second to turn it on. And strong midfield, like Luca Dinia has been class. Michael Keane, we're getting a lot of plaudits this year considering everybody thought he was sort of one of those defenders that's just going to go under the radar and do a job for 10 years as a career, but never really get too much credit. It's a good team.
3: It is a good team. Um, it's nice to have a really, really nice attacking team most of the time. I mean, we've had, <laughs> like you say, it depends what Everton you're going to get on the day because it has been a little bit inconsistent lately from, you know, going from the 3 all with Man United uh, to losing 2-0 at home to Fulham. No, no disrespect to Fulham, but I thought, right, we're going to walk this game. And that was my first mistake backing the blue. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I don't bet I'm permanently wrong. <laughs> How did you, um, what
1: was your reaction when Antolotti got uh, given the job? Because it, it, it was a bit of a surprise, right? You would say? Yeah. Because yeah, he's gone from, I it was from PSG to Bayern to Napoli to Everton, right?
3: Yeah. I was, I was completely shocked as soon as I saw the links, you see the news links first before I'd heard anything. I was like, "There's no way that's happening." And most of the pundits said that that wouldn't be happening as well. I mean, Jermaine Gina said something about it. Why, you know? And you got this thing about what do Everton fans want? You know, that's been said so many times now. It's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. After Big Sam, you know, asked everyone was calling for Big Sam's head after no shots on target in about five games or something. What do Everton supporters want, you know? You yeah. want to win some fucking games, man. <laughs> Kick the ball at the opposition goalkeeper. You, you know, everyone deserves a, uh, a chance in life, you know? I deserve it with Everton. So does Ancelotti. So, just got to win something with, that, with, um, with him personally, but... I was I was very shocked that he actually went, but I was, love having him there. He's absolute class.
1: So at the at the risk of asking the same question, then what I'm asking this to you specifically then, if if Everton are traditionally a team that kind of knock on the door of the top six, I suppose, and they they always yeah. seem to be better than those below them, they end up in that kind of seventh place. It's jokingly called the Everton Cup place, where they consistently kind of better than the rest, not quite good to reach top four. What do you hope for under Carlo Ancelotti? What is your, what do you want as an Everton fan? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What do,
3: what do Everton supporters want? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Um, I just, I think we're going to, ha- we're just, sooner or later, we're going to have to win a trophy, obviously. Okay. So you want a trophy? Be, yeah, to win a trophy. For me personally, I would love to win a trophy. And then you just have to start getting into the top floor top four and start knocking at the door because it's, it's just turned into such a monopoly over the years. Yeah, that's the where I'm at. You're know, it, you getting sick of it after a while. It's... I want
2: a year of chaos. I yeah. want Leicester to be in the top four. I want Everton to break it. I want two teams like, and this is something that we touched on briefly before. Is there's all this talk of this European Super League where all the all the big clubs yeah. get to protect their riches and you know like we were saying like if we get a year of chaos and Leicester come third and Everton come fourth or Wolves make a break for it or something happens and it's just a complete toppling of toppling of the house of cards all these big clubs saying oh well we deserve to be in the in the in the super league it's like well arsenal just finished eighth and everton or you know leicester have come third why do you deserve to be in it that's what that's what i want so i think you yeah i'm with you everton breaking the top
3: four would be yeah be class that needs to happen i mean it's been has been ages and ages since that happened and that was moise again but that with with In regards to that Super League that they were bleating on about, it's like, go on, piss off then. Do you know what I mean? Mm, yeah. It's like, if you're that good, join this Super League. Don't come back. We don't want to hear about you. We don't want to know anything. And, you know, and we're all going to step up. We're going to have our own league. And Everton are going to win it. So, piss off. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's that's, that's there. optimistic <laughs> right there, yeah. There you go. There's your you I, mean?
3: I d- And then, obviously, they got slated for it. Like actually like mentioning the going into a different league and stuff and then just back down over it it's like at least have the courage and convictions at least fight for it if you want to do it off you go
0: mm-hmm.
3: i think it's just a bit of
2: a i think it's horrible i think it's like how dare you <laughs> yeah you're basically just killing the nature of competition for the protect for the for the security of finance like
3: yeah it's all money the, but it's, what, yeah What's it's been a money game for so long now hasn't it yeah you, yeah you're not wrong you're not wrong.
2: Mm. Um, well, so Dominic Calvert-Lewin, just yeah. as a subject, what a player he's turned into, and sort of a double-pronged question: Do you think he's going to stay at Everton for the long haul? I'm, I'm obviously, a, I would assume that you want wanting to. And second part of the question is: Is he England's next best striker after Harry Kane?
3: I. Ooh. I don't, I don't really trust any footballers anymore. <laughs> 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 if, if you've been at a team for two or three seasons and you have a really good season, my gut instinct says that if a big, really big offer comes along, they generally go. So, you know, from getting heartbroken about that kind of thing younger to now just being like, well, if you're not happy at the club, you go, which is the best thing for everybody. But he seems really positive about being at Everton. Uh, this is his first really good season, that he's actually banging the goals in. He's had games where he hasn't scored. He's also been out injured, but he's he's got a damn good start. Um, I'd love to, I'd love to see him stay at Everton. I think he will if we continue on the up. If Ancelotti stays, you know, season after season, if we start actually moving somewhere as a football team, then I'm sure most of our decent players will stay. You've got your Richarlisons, is always linked to Barcelona. You've got. To, what you've got to remember is, I always remind myself this, that these players, they don't support the club. They didn't in mm. the club. So, if I get a better offer at work, I'm bloody off, mate. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, when you say about there's no loyalty of football and stuff, it's It's a job and I can understand why they want to better themselves. Not that I'm trying to sell any of our players. but I, I think as long as we're improving, I, the players will stay because I've seen it time and time again. If, if not, and we stagnate, then they will be off. Um, what was the other question?
2: What it, is, a, is, a, is Dominic Calvert-Lewin England's next best striker after Harry Kane?
3: He's better than Harry Kane. No, that's a joke. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> that would have been a nice um, soundbite
2: to trail the episode with, really. <laughs> I think we'll, it'll still be a soundbite. To,
3: to all Tottenham supporters, can I just reiterate, Harry Kane is the best striker in the Premier League by a long shot um, he needs to get he needs a consistent run with the England squad and to get used to that and keep on scoring goals um, and then just keep scoring for Everton but I think he's a little way off the sort of Kane level now um, I think he's probably on a par with a lot of players but I, I don't know what bracket he's in currently because trying to think of what other strikers we have available to be honest that would be under Kane certainly for England who else would we be talking
2: I mean, Danny Ings Danny, has had a yeah, good Danny year.
3: Ings. Oh, Ings has been fantastic, hasn't he? Yeah, he's been really sure, good. Disappeared, disappeared for five years, and then turned up again, just banging goals in. Fantastic.
2: But I think, I think there's there's some correlation there between, you know, as saying, do you think Dominic Cavill is going to stay at Everton? It's like it probably benefits him to stay at Everton because he can be the main man much like Ings at Liverpool yeah. he's never going to start he's never going gonna to be considered that main man alright it's a lot of the time it's in the name and the context of what the player is but like Calvert-Lewin at Everton he can be the main man he can be that goal scorer he can get his good numbers for the year Yeah, he can be imposing same with Danny Ings and like I feel like that's where it could be detrimental to him to go and play for a bigger club is if he doesn't hit the ground running does he have a bad year does it have a knock-on effect does it give him two years of you know does he waste two years of his career trying to get good form and then get another move
3: like this is the thing yeah uh, but, if he if he does go to another club I mean not that I've ever heard any rumours of it at all but if he does go to another club or a big offer comes in is, there's just no guarantee that you're going to be the main man like you say he's yeah. at the moment he is definitely where he deserves to be and where he needs to be in my opinion he's he's an instant starter when he's fit um, the one thing I will say about Evan at the minute is that we're just sometimes lacking creativity in the middle of the park there's too much sideways for my liking and not enough you know c- um, cutted passes coming through to our strikers mm. and stuff I mean Luca Dean obviously he's got um... a wicked whip cross
1: on him Luca Dean oh that's brilliant that's You've yeah, got one of the best crossers on the left-hand like side of, and then yeah. Dominic Calvert-Lewin, who's one of the best headers in the Premier League. It's a lethal partnership.
3: Yeah. Well, he's been basically been trained by Duncan Ferguson, who definitely knew how to head a football. <laughs> yeah, if anyone knows how to the head a football, football, it's Duncan Ferguson. Most of his head, to be honest. It's terrifying.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, Okay, so you've just mentioned Duncan Ferguson. Why don't we move on to your 11? Um, yeah. Would you like to explain anything behind the tactical approach or the formation or anything leading into it or... You know, this is yeah. your, go for it.
3: I have been a staunch supporter of four four two. The English game. <laughs> the English game. Yeah. Come on, up the Englands. Yeah, this is nineteen ninety two Premier League years football, right? Yeah. Um I just I love the thought of two target men, like okay. two strikers. From my my favorite. some of my favourite sort of you know, memories of the Premier League, there's two people up front. Always two people playing off each other. Like Cole and York.
2: Yeah. Um, oh
3: fantastic active, partnership. Fantastic. Yeah, like Man United had loads of decent partnerships back then. But Solskjaer
1: and Skulls as a backup wasn't too bad. Yeah. Right. Uh, Solskjaer oh, and sharing him even.
3: Yeah, absolutely fantastic yeah, they weren't bad subs, were they? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what would they ever do for United, though? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Henri yeah, and Bergkamp. Yeah. Sharing Mary for a bit. Don't see it much anymore. Oh, you just don't see that at all it's it's usually just one now isn't it and it has been for quite a few years or yeah. really. well,
1: it's like triplets I suppose because you get like the messy Neymar, Suarez at Barcelona as one and then you've normally yeah. got like I guess uh, Sterling, Aguero and I suppose we maybe have Mares on one side for, for Manchester City it's normally attacking triplets now
3: yeah except if you know Everton. You'd have Lukaku up front, and then just be trying to lump it up to him permanently. <laughs> so Although Lukaku is
1: a great example of a modern partnership with him with um with Martinez. Martinez, Inter. yeah, like, that's an excellent yeah, example.
3: He, he had a fantastic
2: season there. To be fair, yeah, absolutely brilliant. I love the uh the four four two. When you say you know you're a big fan of it, like back in the day, four four two was just goals galore. Four four two v four four two, and now now anybody says four four two, and they think of Sam Allardyce and Sean Dyche. And yeah. boring football and yeah. it's like this is this is football heritage like four four two is what changed or so, sort of changed the game and every now yeah. and then you know across across europe you see like atletico madrid play and barcelona play and it's like really yeah. barcelona sean dyche really
3: <laughs> maybe maybe we should rename it gammon ball then because that's, <laughs> that's just what popped into my head <laughs> Allerdyce and Dice's Gammon Ball. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, the game's changed, hasn't it? And it's uh, certainly coming over from sort of a a continental sort of aspect. You have to pass it. You have to pass the other team off the pitch and pass it into the net, essentially. Because you rarely ever see people like spanking it in from 30 yards anymore either. It's like, it's almost like they're not allowed to do it. You have to pass it around and you have to sort of break the, break the opposition team down that way um, and it's it has sucked a bit of the joy out of the game for me sometimes because you go through long stages of absolute boredom in a lot of games so in goal let's start with your goalkeeper shall we yeah the one and only there will only ever be one for me neville southall
1: <laughs> a great choice so is he it was a he legend he was the first um so you said that you fell in love with Neville Southall first. Was that the first Everton shirt you ever got? Was the was a goalkeeper shirt or?
3: It was a goalkeeping one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I still got a few of the old school ones somewhere. Actually, I have to dig them out. Um, I think it was the NEC one, and it was green, from what I can gather. I mean, mm. we're going back some years, but I definitely haven't got that one anymore. Um, and I just like that. I love the way that he was just a scruff bag as well. But. <laughs> He was, he was, in my opinion, well, I, I was biased at the time, but his best goalkeeper. Even looking back at it now, he was one of the best goalkeepers in the world, if not the best. I know it's cliche on that, but mm. just fantastic. Um, in a time when the game was a lot different, you know, you could kick lumps out of each other and get away with it. And everything's changed now. Um, it's not all bad. Didn't want to sound that depressing. Everything's changed now. <laughs> <laughs> but He's a big lad, isn't what- he? Have- he he is, um, but if you see what he does, I don't know if you follow him on Twitter or anything like that. Oh, he's a fantastic do. character. He's now. So good, he just cares, you know. Yeah. He's a caring working class man, and
1: that's I just... the that's the thing about him. Like I I I love Neville Southall, cause, and and I'd never really seen him play. He's just this great example of like of an older bloke who's just really keen to know more about about like the modern world, about things, and ask questions, yeah. and just try not to get left behind. Like I read. Um, I think it was just before Christmas that I read something about him that he, he works with 11 to 16, 17 year olds now at like a local school in Wales like he drives a minibus the school minibus he helps yeah. get like school funding he talks to local businesses to get them involved with the school like he's just dead set on doing whatever he can to he make the to world help. a better place yeah that's yeah. exactly just,
3: what's not to love? the crosses is he just wants to help and you know give people a a good start in in, in not just football but in life um judging by how many people he lets into his twitter account and stuff you know oh God. Um, you... <laughs> yeah. someone different on it every night yeah. which is fantastic because i i don't know any other ex-pros you know there can't be m- many other that are doing it and if there is any more then i certainly don't know about it
1: there's not many like him i think there's 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 people that do good in their community from the game but there's there's not many people yeah. like neville Southall. i don't think no i he's don't think there
3: is um, a, he's really enigmatic
1: um individual isn't I he I, I think i'm a little bit in love with him <laughs> yeah. i haven't told you <laughs> so that's neville southall um would you like to move on to the defense now
3: yeah let's give it a go who was it? I can't remember. Yeah, I do, I I do not go in front of you. <laughs> no, I left it downstairs. Oh, okay. Left back. I've got it, we've got it. Left okay. back, you've gone
2: for Roberto Carlos.
3: Oh Carlos, of course. Yeah. I do, uh I just love the way how he how he kicked a football essentially and how his thighs were as big as sort of oil drums. Oh yeah. Um, he fast.
2: is the he, he is the most picked player as of yet.
3: Is he? He's
2: a very he a been in, choice. I think he's been in this is episode 6. I think he's been in five of six yep. teams, has he? Yeah.
3: Has he really? Yeah. Oh, well, that must say something then. <laughs> he is oh, absolutely fantastic. I just I, I'm surprised he didn't punch the balls he kicked him so hard. <laughs> and and every time I think of like I just think of that free kick that he took that was from about 700 miles away. Do
0: you remember that? Oh, that's the one.
3: Yeah. yeah. The classic. I mean, I think it was a bit of a grass cutter, but I'm not going to take that away from him. He had the audacity to do it anyway. And mean it. Yes. Yeah. Well, there's no, you know, you're not stopping that. Take your bloody no. arm off. Yeah. What a player.
2: Um, and then you've gone for Tony Adams, your first centre-back.
3: Yes. Uh, I saw Tony Adams a lot, obviously, because that was the era that I was really, really sort of going to foot, going to games a lot and just watching everything, every single game that was on the TV. And he was just absolutely solid. Um, And I really admired him. And he obviously had his problems, uh, which I'm sure a lot of us can relate to. Mm -hmm. And he came out the end of it. Um, But yeah, just I've always admired him as a footballer. Do
1: you you think of Tony Adams in an Arsenal shirt or in an England shirt? Like what comes to mind
3: first? Uh, Arsenal. Okay. 100%. I I never something I, I was always about club football as opposed to, oh okay, international football. Personally, I mean, I watched it and obviously wanted England to win and stuff. But there's an element to su- to support it, of supporting England that never really sat comfortable with me. I'm not never quite figured it out. It's almost the patriot patriotism thing that I'm not comfortable with. I don't okay. know whether it's some guilt hanging around from years and years ago or something, but. <laughs> So, so you, with Tony Adams, it was yeah. always always in an Arsenal shirt because uh, they were just they were unstoppable back then. Yeah, it was in, that yeah. was kind
1: of I guess the early nineties or sort of the mid nineties is like the era of dominance. Yeah. Like Wenger's Arsenal, isn't it? And yeah. he was just the he was the he the captain, the rock at the back, the absolute like the talisman for that era yeah. of Arsenal yeah. side. And there's
3: that I think in you're a, dead right in there. That's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, can, you couldn't win at Highbury. No one, from, from my memories, it was just you'd write them fixtures off. <laughs> Certainly, at the, with the way Everton were at the time under, under Walt Smith, you'd just be like, oh, no, we're not going to get anything there. And yeah, they had a hell of a team back then. Isn't it weird how things are sort of slowly turning now as well? <laughs> which, a lot of the big teams have been struggling, are struggling. You know, with Man United, have been struggling for a few years now, getting better, obviously and Arsenal just trying to find their feet again in their new stadium that's what, how it seems and the new managers I enjoy the cycle of that though I think it creates
2: cool narratives well, and that ultimately to... that's what you want in sport isn't it
3: I used to get so sick of Man United winning everything every single year um, but yeah things have changed it's a lot and it's not just this season either It's it's been happening slowly you know, the tables do seem to be turning even though the same teams keep winning everything
0: mm.
3: for right. um you just brought up Manchester United there. Your next pick in the
1: heart of the central yeah. defence is is a Manchester United player, I suppose. That's who you'd associate him with most. Um, yeah. Rio Ferdinand. So, mm. I mean, talk to us about Rio Ferdinand. Why have you picked him if, if you were sick of Man United winning
3: all the time?
0: <laughs> yeah,
3: um, just because I was sick of him. I mean, i could still always been able to appreciate how decent players are and stuff mm-hmm. and put rivalries and stuff like that aside. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm a lot older than I was. I don't just swear and to be horrible to other teams for no reason anymore well it's been about a week done that. <laughs> it's been about a week <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, he, he, another one who was just absolutely solid um, and it was really difficult I saw him when he was playing for Leeds actually saw so, uh, Leeds uh, Everton Leeds Goodison obviously and he was like amazing then from what I remember um, and just to really admire him I was just like Big solid center halves, <laughs> just decent defenders who you just can't get past, really annoyingly good. And that's why I put them two together in the middle.
1: He's a very good but like I always thought, thought that Rio Ferdinand was like excellent at playing the ball out from the back before it became trendy. There was yeah. something about Rio Ferdinand that just seemed a little bit ahead of his time. And yeah, he's a there's... bowler,
3: he was, he was one of the new, well, he almost looked like one of the new wave of sort of footballers. Certainly, it was when the big money was coming in as well. How much did he go for?
1: It was 30, 35, I think, from Leeds United. That
2: was a lot back
3: then as well. It was, yeah. really was pain, then, wasn't it? Then. Yeah. He
1: was the most expensive defender for years. I think until maybe John Stones or Carl Walker, yeah. one of the two, went to City, he was the most expensive defender. And, like, it was warranted because he was just fantastic for years. And there was yeah. there's always there is a little bit of me that's. There's a question mark above Rio Ferdinand's head, purely for two reasons. One, because he had an awful season at Queens Park Rangers, which is my club. <laughs> and then yeah. there's another thing where just he was part of that golden generation of of England between like two thousand and two and six, I suppose, that just yeah. underachieved at international tournament after international tournament. And then he was very honest and admitted. That it was down to like club clicks and how Manchester United players wouldn't mix with Liverpool who wouldn't mix with Chelsea in the England camp and that always just kind right. of pissed me off because it's like you turn out for your country you're supposed to put all that beside you like that's why I feel mm. a bit more positive about the England team now than I, than I did when I was growing up because I feel like that's kind of been washed to the side a bit and we yeah, had such right. a good generation yeah. that didn't win a thing
3: <laughs> No and it's going to go on and on and on as far as i can tell well i hope not
0: (laughs) it's a weird one
2: with england i i I feel like i feel i i kind of feel a bit optimistic about it and i I don't know why that is at all but i feel like there are a lot of good young lads coming through that genuinely look like they want to play football and i feel Mm -hmm. like when i grew up it was i mean only 27 so we've all experienced sort of like different eras but i i when i grew up it, it just seemed that england players never really wanted to play for england and now it seems like yeah. they need to because it's all about individual goal and the individual goal leads on to how determining how well that career for that certain player goes but i'm, I'm sort of optimistic i think i, like I am optimistic. as well like i'm really optimistic yeah.
1: about next or what is this summer now because i think then although although gareth southgate didn't want the job he's been a bit of a revelation because he did say i think one of the one of the quotes like his most famous quote i suppose his england manager was like when he said to the guys like anything that you do for england will just completely wipe off anything you ever do for your club like it's so much more important if you just get your head down and win something with england and i think that really resonated with a lot of the squad in 2018 and i hope that that helps young players like Phil Foden and Raheem Stur- or Raheem Sterling is not that young anymore, but like Jack Grealish and um, James Madison, yeah. Mason Mount, players like that will really start to perform. We've got a really exciting squad. And that's why I think when I think back to Stephen Gerrard, Rio Ferdinand, Frank Lampard, they're all players that just couldn't gel together. And it yeah. just leaves a sour taste in my mouth, I think, of that squad in that era.
3: There's just been so many bulbs dawns, though. You just get your hopes up every tournament. Yeah, you are, right. It's going to be the one. But, yeah, you never know. And that's why you keep going back. That's why Mm. you keep coming back to it time and time again. You know, you just never know what's going to happen.
1: And another one in that squad, you picked a right back. So you went for Gary Neville.
3: Yeah. This is a bit weird because it seems like I've got some sort of Man United fascination. <laughs> a United uh,
1: apologist.
3: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a fun. It's three in um, a row in a minute, so <laughs> when we get on to the yeah. next player. <laughs> um, I did, I actually admired that man, United. I didn't... I don't support them. Can I just get that out there? I just... Uh, I just admired him as professionals and how nasty the pair of Neville's were. Horrible bastards. Um, but they got the job done. Um, I really tried... I tried in this Formation to not pick many Everton players, just more more that I actually admired. Certainly not the best in the world, you know, mm-hmm. but I'm just going from the era that I really followed, really, really, you know, to the point of obsession and picked what really stood out to me And and Horrible Neville was one of those <laughs> players. I'd have loved him in our team, to be honest with you, but completely disliked him as in every other single way <laughs> but that's not to take it take away from him that it is a he's an absolutely fantastic footballer just yeah. but horrible and that's why I liked him to be honest because I really like shit houses <laughs> so, yes yes horrible yeah. horrible shit yes i love yeah. it
2: what Can do he, you think of Neville as a pundit like i'm i'm awful really yeah. like, yeah, I, I think i think he's yeah.
3: brilliant. it's not there's not enough like him Really, um, i see how much stick he gets and stuff, but he seems unapologetic about it all. But yeah, I think he's been a bit of breath of fresh air to be honest. It needed that
2: I almost think he saved Sky Sports, sort of, in itself, because the way that they were going with punditry, it was just like. Yeah. so boring it was it was either analytical for the sake of that's because it's what you know that's because what's ha- this is what happens but he really turned it on its head and gave it some themes and gave it some personality and then bringing Carragher in and those two together
0: great yeah.
1: they they really like when you say that they saved sky sports they they did in a in in a way because like when monday night football got reintroduced i think it was 2010 that was it was first hosted by i think it was hosted by keys and gray and Mm. it was they they got let go very shortly afterwards and the fact that you could then like sky were able to rely on gary neville and jamie carragher who between the two of them like both of their personalities and like tactical intellect makes monday night football like must see television every single week yeah and to go from this massive shitstorm storm where you've got two of your most high profile presenters in this kind of sexism row to sweep them out as quick as possible. And then just to put the spotlight on two sort of charismatic, relatively young, recently yeah. retired footballers that are still very much got their head in the game. Like that was like a stroke of genius really by Sky to have just to kind of give them the reins and like, right, okay, go for it. You do all the analysis now.
3: And they're, Fucking brilliant together
1: every single week. Yeah, they They're are so good.
3: Yeah. yeah, it needed overhauling anyway. Personally, and even when they said that Gary Neville was gonna gonna be heavily involved in it, I, w- I wasn't enamoured by it. But he's, and neither were a lot of people, from what I can gather. But he's he's really proved to people that he's a fantastic pundit. Yeah, a fantastic right back, and then just a better pundit,
1: <laughs> which is weird. Like he's it's just a testament and a yeah. pretty good right back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So if we can, do you want to continue down the right-hand side now? Because your next player... Yeah, do that. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so on the on the right-hand side, you've got to pick David Beckham after that. So
3: another United yeah. and England player. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, I've just always... I'd, it's pretty self-explanatory, really, with Beckham. I was uh, lucky enough to see him quite, quite regularly because mm-hmm. I, I used to take my brother to Goodison, he's a Man United supporter. Um, and then he used to take me to Old Trafford because he's... You know, as you do, just a bit of a bit of the old switcheroo. Um <laughs> uh, yeah, we went so many times, but the one game that sticks out, we were I think we were three nil down at half time at Goodison, as you, as you were back then. I think it was Beckham, Skulls and Giggs or something like that. And um Yeah, it's like I say, it's self explanatory having Beckham in the team because just fantastic at dead ball situations, fantastic like free kick taker corner taker um and one of the first sort of like massive massive stars to actually come out into football and just be bigger than the game essentially and be bigger than his club and he was at the biggest club in the world sort of arguably at the time um yeah i just he's in the team and he's whipping the ball in that i do know (laughs) (laughs) a deadly
1: set piece taker there's I think i think you're the first person to beat david beckham actually and yeah it's a surprise. Yeah, you might. yeah i think that's that's like it's, it's a surprise because he is just for a generation of of english football fans he is kind of the poster boy for for english football really i
3: suppose like did you try yeah. did you ever try and copy any of his hairstyles as a kid <laughs> no i had a, i had a perm once when i was young actually <laughs> um i can't for the life of me remember why and my mum can't remember why either, but it was something to do with football, and I can't remember what player it was. But I'd Keegan, it. surely? Um, it might have been. It might have been <laughs> Keegan, actually. I would love we'll it. Haul it. Yeah, <laughs> I love um, it if we beat them. I would love it if you get my hair permed, mom. yeah, <laughs> something like that. Yeah, me and my brother had it done for some reason, but I digress.
2: And then the next, the next midfield player. Bringing all of the personality into the team, Paolo Di Canio.
3: Oh, I loved him. Yeah, absolutely loved him. As it, not not just going back to the obvious, like slightly pushing a referee, but him throwing him <laughs> down the Such an excellent <laughs> clip, that is
1: iconic piece of Premier <laughs> League television. That. <laughs> yeah. Sheffield Wednesday gets Arsenal, and he pushes over. I think it's David Ellery onto yeah. his ass.
3: Yeah. I You know, I'm all I'm all for pushing any of them. To be honest, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Saying that, at the minute after what Mike Riley's going through, but um, yeah, he was ultimate flair player as well. Just fantastic. Again, lucky enough to see him play. Um, I think when it must be Sheffield Wednesday, no West Ham. Yeah, I saw him. Yeah, I saw him a few times, and just yeah, he's in the team. He's in the middle. He's making it happen. That's what he's doing. <laughs> He's, um, players that I really like, regardless of if they fit into this team, they're going to be in it. Hey, that's that's what we try. That's, that's what we ask for. Just pick players you like and shoehorn them in if you can. I was I was going to when I was looking at it like the other day, I was like, no, I can't pick him. He's right sided player, and I was just like, fuck it, <laughs> fuck it doesn't it. matter. So fuck the anywhere. system. Put go your players in. in. There's a, yeah. on, on going centre back. <laughs> yes, we go
1: full Garth Crooks with it. I was um, yeah. I was reading something about Paolo Di Canio in the lead up to this episode because I was trying to find something that I heard about him a while ago and there was something to do with them. Um, so when when he when he was growing up, he had the nickname of Palocca, which is roughly translated to lard ball because he was a fat little kid.
3: And he had really
1: oh, dodgy knees and had to wear like orthopedic shoes. So he was someone that oh, really had it. to like, he was never supposed to be a professional footballer. He wasn't supposed yeah, to be okay at football. And he somehow became like, a Great footballer, like he was never yeah. supposed to even make the team, and yet he pushed and strived and shoved these his way are the in.
3: Stories we like to hear, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, rags to riches, just proper success stories. It's not just, just a- these like ready made footballers that I'm, I'm sure you get now, which is right, he's going to be a footballer, and that's that because mm. his dad or his uncle was a footballer, you it know, generated with, a lab with no family in the game whatsoever. It's probably quite rare these days, and then. Yeah. Moving on to the Real Madrid legend, Thomas Graveson. Oh, solid. <laughs> Psycho. <laughs> oh, just, I'm just putting personalities in this team, if you noticed. Yeah. It's, it's, it's thick. It's, it's full of personality. <laughs> I don't think they'd be getting on much, would they? Imagine managing it. <laughs> oh, I don't think you'd be able to. Uh,
2: I think it'd pretty much probably be a democracy.
3: I loved the Everton midfield when you had Thomas Graveson and Lee Carsley in it the big um,
2: bold partnership in the
1: middle that's the one the
3: Mitchell brothers yeah The, classic. <laughs> the Mitchell brothers um, it, it was like the big one and the little one um, that's just a really really fond era of mine um, when Graveson was in the team and he was yeah he was playing against Man United that game actually when we were 3-0 down at half time at Goodison and he yeah he scored in the second half so I just I said to my brother, I was like, right, you've won the first half and we've won the second half, which is the only <laughs> thing I can really take out. Um, just another loss for Walter Smith's Blues at the time, uh, from what I can remember. Um, he goes in the team just for sheer um, hard nut factor and the fact that he slapped his balls on a teammate's head. <laughs> when did it, that it, happen? <laughs> it happened in the, uh, for the Danish team, from what I can remember. So that's definitely worth a Google yeah not well, condoning it i'm not condoning it in this day and age you should not be doing that kind of thing this is disclaimer in case i don't know something happens to me <laughs> <on
1: the internet. laughs> he's a uh, very robust you've got a really tough sort of midfield here
3: and oh, like they're just gonna foul it yeah they're just any attack that comes at them they're just gonna foul them eventually yeah. do, you know what, um, the do you know what um do you know what gravison's up to these days I read something the other day. Is he something to do with gambling?
1: Yeah. So he's in in two thousand eight. He quit football and just pissed off to Las Vegas. And recently, he he sort of made some decent financial investments and played a lot of poker. And he's apparently worth over a hundred million dollars now, just by Jesus you know silly. becoming some big roller in Vegas. So
3: Gravison's had a great career and then a great post career yeah. as well. <laughs> right that's fantastic. I've done neither of those things. <laughs> Oh I haven't gone to Las Vegas I haven't gambled any money and I haven't made any money either so yeah that's yeah. Thing I haven't got good luck to him I say
2: I mean it's probably you know considering that transfer saga he's probably due a comeuppance at some point it is my fa- I, that video I think there's I can't remember who did it but this is that video where they put his transfer saga from Everton to Real Madrid together and there's the picture of him holding the Real Madrid shirt just looking like why am I here how did this happen?
3: Yeah. Um, but as they say, they just they wallpaper over everything and then just say, uh, oh, when Real Madrid come asking, you know, you you, you can't turn them down. <laughs> yeah, doesn't seem any rhyme or reason to make a lot of their transfers. Um, they're just getting any player that's in form, really. Yeah. And if you're in form in the Premier League, you can definitely cut it there. He <laughs> <laughs> only
1: played a season at Real Madrid, They went to Celtics. He played 34 games, scored once, yeah. and then went to... Went and up then north. back
2: to Everton after that, right?
1: <laughs> and then I'm guessing next to Thomas Gravison here, you've picked you've picked Roy Keane. So that there's your central oh, midfield partnership.
3: Yeah, horrible hard bastard. Love everything about him, and even now as well, actually. Same. <laughs> yeah, do you enjoy him when watching him me? on the telly then? Yeah, I do. Yeah. I like the way he's just got. He doesn't hasn't got anything good to say about anything.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I love it.
3: Reminds me a lot of uh, some people I know, but. Yeah, I just I think he gives an honest opinion, and I like, I like to see him just sit there and just winding people up. You know, he's it's not, brilliant. Afraid, he's not afraid that he's sitting next to soon as soon as he's boiling over about something. Usually, Pogba um, <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah, I just yeah as a player as well was another one I was really in awe of. Awe of. I'm wondering if there's some sort of correlation here between all of these. You know, I might have been lacking something in my life that's made me pick all of these real hard men. <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm gonna have to get onto this at counseling on monday we'll, it's like we'll have- um
1: we should do like a a side podcast where we just analyze the teams like you would analyze a dream yeah. there has got to be some kind of underlying subconscious to what kind of teams people pick here because you've gone for a very robust strong hard man yeah. 11 here
2: yeah okay. tony adams Gravison, and Keane <laughs> stood next to each other it does not seem pleasing does it
1: it's a no-nonsense spine <laughs> yeah tony, Gavin,
3: why, why have you picked this uh this uh center mid what is in your life why have why you picked this man <laughs> do i don't know i just want this protective man. Or, you know <laughs> yeah. Yeah. in terms
1: of in terms of striking partnerships um you spoke about that you love strike partnerships earlier on yeah. uh you've picked a banger here of two extra (laughs) just like one of the premier league's all-time great goal scorers and then one of the premier league's all-time great hard man
3: yeah yeah um let's start off with um just yeah one of the most wonderful forwards um center forwards that i've ever seen in my entire life creative uh skillful thierry henry um Oh, how what can I say that hasn't already been said? He's just so graceful. Um didn't I think he had a really tough year when he first joined. I was that on the left
1: was, a lot? Played on the left a lot in the, in his yeah, early he, days at Arsenal, they ride, got moved in the middle. He?
3: Yeah. It wasn't until he was put um put sort of more in the middle that he actually really started coming to life. And I don't think he was a, an amazing amount of money from what I can remember.
1: It's only about For fifteen a, mil. Which around yeah, us, two thousand. That's a bit more than yeah. yeah.
3: Probably not bad actually around then. But yeah, yeah. Just ah, oh, just the ultimate, just the ultimate striker for me. Really, just just loved watching him. I think I probably seen him play, but I, now I'm getting to, to this age, I can't remember much. So I'll just say yeah, probably back in the <laughs> day. <laughs> I was drinking a lot back then. Um, yeah, self-explanatory. That one. Who who wouldn't want him in their team really? There's something about Thierry Henry that he
1: scores every single type of goal you can possibly think of. So it could come off his right foot, his left foot, his head. He could run from the halfway line and finish off, like take an entire defence on and finish it off nicely. There's that finish against Barthez where he kind of chips it up and volleys it over the shoulder into the top corner. And there's the really inventive one against Charlton where he backheels it in the six-yard box with a defender on his back. Like There's no goal that Thierry Henry cannot score. No. And I think that's yeah. something you can just fall in love with him about. Like, <laughs> what can't this man do?
3: I've never met anybody that's disliked him, but I don't know. You probably probably speak to any Spurs, speak man. to a Spurs oh, fan, yeah, <laughs> or any
2: Irish Irish fans.
3: Yeah, <laughs> oh yeah, there was that. Um, he's just a cl- he's just one of the greats, and he always will be. will be remembered for it. Uh, we need more of we need more of them in the game, in my opinion, at the minute. Um, he had to go in there to be honest there was loads of them. I, I mulled it over for ages and ages who had put in there but mm-hmm. he's just a shining beacon yeah, I've got a lot of good friends who are Arsenal supporters and season ticket holders and uh, absolutely loved him obviously um, and he, he would have just walked into any team so yeah he was he was one of my men up front
1: and you partnered him with Duncan Ferguson of course
3: I have put him a Big Dunk yeah a Big Dunk's going to get the muscle work done he's yep. going to he's going to hustle and bustle chuck some elbows around just going hard and just look, you know, gen- genuinely psychotic. Um, and, you know, can you remember that goal he scored for Newcastle from, from outside the box? The volley he scored was absolutely fantastic. No, I'd have to go um, and have a look at that. Don't, I don't think that uh, he he got credit from other fans that he probably deserved, actually, because there was a lot more to his game than just, just hassling defenders and, and headers, to be honest. He's actually, you know, a fantastic football player as well. A bit blood and thunder sometimes, but obviously that's why he's in this squad. Yeah, he matches
1: um, he matches the ethos of the of the rest of the squad. He's I would want to
3: play him with you. <laughs>
0: no, it'd be no, a really tough no afternoon. No way.
3: Oh, he, get shin pads there. I'll tell you that now.
2: Hasn't he been very loyal since he re- retired from Everton as well? I think he's has he been at Everton since coaching, and obviously now he's like the assistant manager. And um, that...
3: he yeah he came he he hasn't been there ever since. From what hmm. I can gather, someone told me he was actually running. He had a bar in Spain or something, but that's probably a wife's tale. I don't know. But I, I just pictured him sitting there, just knocking back lagers all day and smoking B and H personally. But that's probably just <laughs> that's probably just my opinion. He is um,
1: he is a man that's basic. He's he's like ingrained in the fabric of of Everton, though. So yeah, he is. Uh, what does yeah, yeah, what yeah. does Big it, Dunk mean to you personally?
3: Um, he's he's just everything. To, he is Everton through and through he's never say die he always fought um, and he just cared about the club you can see that you can tell a mile off when someone cares about Everton Football Club and means it you know and he, oh. he, he always did and nobody doubted it um, and then he went to well he got sold against everyone's wishes from what I can remember when he actually went to Newcastle um, and didn't look like he liked it one bit to be honest um, and wasn't long before he was actually back where he belonged, which is at Goodison. Um, and yeah, he's, he's he's there now as um, Ancelotti's uh, right-hand man, stroke coach, whatever he does there. Um, Should have looked Did, that up, really. But he's always that, there. Uh, there. was he's that bit there.
2: Odd the other day, three-three, uh, when it was yeah. when Calvert-Lewin scored and fun- uh, he Ferguson runs on the pitch and there's
3: Ancelotti just trying to calm yeah. him down. Sipping his coffee, yeah, he's too cool. That's a lot, isn't he? Never gets flustered, never seen flustered, really. Um, yeah, big dunk just belongs at Everton. I'm never quite sure what he does in all these different roles and stuff. I mean, I'm pretty sure he's like goal, um, strikers coach or something like that, but um, it's just lovely to see him on the bench every week. I'm a, I'm a simple man, I don't need to know 100% of the details. I just like to see Duncan Ferguson sit. <laughs> Sitting on the bench <laughs> you know, Long may that continue. He's just he's just um every he's just Everton through and through. He's everything to do with Everton. Everton's everything to do well, with him.
2: There's a lot of leaders in this team. Um who is who if you had to identify a captain within all of them, who would it be?
3: Oh, I'm straight in Pino's captain. Really? Yeah, no, yeah, you can't do anything wrong. Imagine imagine that earful you get if you've done something wrong when, when Roy Keane is your captain in your football team. Keno is going to be the captain, and then vice captain is going to be. We're not going to have one. Just just keen. Keen
2: can be vice captain and captain. Keen
3: has all the responsibility. (laughs) He's manager as well. Um, Love that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, It's all about Keno's
2: solid, solid, and that leads us on to where we sort of we obviously came up with this idea to invoke a bit of poetic license of three subs of musical yeah. backgrounds and yeah. you want to explain them so number one yeah
3: number one what who was it again
2: it was brent hines of mastodon
3: brent hines of mastodon oh no they're all really hard men um yeah he just i just think he'd be a horrible spiteful person to play against because he'd be competitive we actually met him once brent hines um and he was lovely
0: but how did that I go where did meet you meet him
3: meet. Uh, rockham ring rockham oh, okay Park, something like that yeah he was a, he was at our hotel it was a long long time ago um when i say we met him i think we said hello and ran off <laughs> <laughs> i really like your band <laughs> bye. Hello, ah, that are you all right? bye that counts <laughs> <laughs> Was, yeah, oh, we shared a lift with them. That was what it was. And I think I just looked into the top corner or something like that of the lift instead. Um, <laughs> so, um yeah, Brent Brent Hines goes in as uh one of those defenders that just won't leave leave the strikers alone, just hassling them, tapping the ankles and stuff like that, raking the studs down the back of the um Achilles heel, that kind of thing. But he gets the job done and he's a proper centre half and he's a he's a team he's a team player. He loves the team. So yeah, he's in
2: a big mastodon fan
3: a little bit not massively um but i really like him for some reason <laughs> For uh, one
2: of the mastodon one of the first bands i saw i guess it's not one of the first bands i saw but like when i started actually going to shows properly i remember my mum and stepdad took me to metallica at wembley stadium and yeah. um, mastodon was supporting and i just remember being like these are amazing the riffs sound yeah off the chart i think they just released that record with Colonia birchman on it and oh, then, mountain yeah mate Spot i think we hand. were in
1: the same stadium in 2006 i think we we're at the same show <laughs> <laughs> did you go to that show yeah with i think i think uh, bullet, um and yeah they machine pulled head. out of it
2: oh bullet okay so they
1: bullet pulled out machine head played
2: and him played and him, him got booed off stage yeah, him I mean. were main support <laughs> so when mastodon machine head him and then him got booed off stage because mastodon and machine head was so heavy and theirs was there's him playing yeah, these like sort I of pop rock songs to, to
3: him that isn't is if you got machine it? and
2: mastodon yeah but brilliant um, what a show
3: yeah it sounds fantastic
2: and then the second sub
3: right the second sub was pete Steele, was it it was Steele. pete Steele. um i think he's six foot six he's a big man He's at Well, he, yeah, I think he's dead, actually, isn't he? Well, he was a big man. Ooh, he was a big man. Can you edit that? He was a big man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's he's going to be um, Duncan Ferguson's replacement up front. Uh, he's just a big target man. Um,
1: he's and, a really good-looking yeah, man as
3: well. He's <laughs> a good-looking man, but he didn't ever come across as a happy man, <laughs> to me anyway. No, no. Um, well listening to his music as well he's obviously it's quite quite sad and dour but that was probably what i liked about it in some (laughs) respects um so he's going to be in um he'll fight for the shirt he actually said he'll die for the shirt you know um and i like players that look you know like they really want to be at a club they'll do anything to win and i definitely think that pete Steele would have been one of those players which we'll is our conversation <laughs> uh yeah that's pete Steele, he's in and then the last
2: one is a guy by the name of mark Kozalek, and i have to admit i do not know anything about this guy
3: where did i put him hold him mid i
2: think he's
1: so. listed as a substitute
3: yeah he's um he's from sun kill moon i don't know if you know him. That's his acoustic moniker, anyway. Oh, okay. Okay. He used to be in, um, used to be in quite a relatively well-known grungy band in the '90s, but he's just, a, just looks like such a sort of meandering, meandering sort of heartfelt, sad man sometimes, and I just think he'd be really good at just sort of mopping up the, um, doing the dirty work. Doing the dirty work and just and mopping up, sort of like the loose balls and stuff, breaking down the play, and just getting his head down and having something to sort of focus on, as it were. And so he goes, and I love him as well. <laughs> so he's going straight in the team. Yeah,
2: love it. I see. He, uh, he wrote the soundtrack to Almost Famous, I believe, as well. The film. If yes, you've seen he did. That. Yes, yeah. um, I love that film
3: yeah he's um he's been about for quite a long time now he's, he's Sun kill moon have got on a, uh, an album called benji which is just heartbreakingly good it's just one of my faves of all time so i thought i'd have um mark kozalak along for the ride he might not get on but he's on the bus <laughs> <laughs> cool breaking and the then, tunes out yeah and then finally
1: we also asked for a walkout song and a goal song so do you remember what you wrote or would you like us to read them out? <laughs> I, I remember <laughs> I remember one of them was... It's so the walkout song, uh, You've Got Letter Thing by Poison the Well.
3: Yes, I love Poison the Well. Yeah. Um, that song is just absolutely chaotic um, and just starts off with a really, really fast snare. Um, just like... Din, li, 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 just like that. And I just think, walking out, I was having to think about it. and listened to it the other day when I was at work, not with a patient on board. Um, that's not the done thing and yeah just something to really fire you up Mm -hmm. just walk out there and just just want to destroy everybody essentially and letter thing does that for me so yeah that's going to be my walkout music poison the whale letter thing
1: excellent and then your goal song was the broken vow by converge so uh yeah excellent tune
3: (laughs) yeah you know what there's there's a method to this actually um, I, there's definitely not enough metalers in football for a start, and I've always thought that. There's only uh, I'd really struggle to name
1: a handful. There's really are really just, few and far between. I know I know David De Gea is a massive Avenged Sevenfold. De Gea, fan. Yeah, that was one of mine. Um, I remember that Emmanuel Pogatetz, who used to play for Middlesbrough, used to get ostracised by his teammates because every time it was his turn to go on the like put the tunes on in the dressing room, he'd like right. put something batshit on. Um, and it would be, you know, something like a machine head or just something, and, and no one liked it. So no one used to let him near the jukebox. <laughs> and, but if apart from that, Thomas Rosicki. Oh, Rosicki.
2: Yeah, loves, yeah. Yeah, loves Metallica, Thomas Rosicki.
3: But do you know what I mean, though? It's like, it's really difficult to actually try and f- remember any players that like that kind of music. I mean, yeah. go back to Stuart Pierce. Um, he's a bit of a punk back in the day, from what I can remember him mentioning. Um, but, like, certainly in, in in modern football, it's definitely more about R&B in the dressing yeah. room. So mm. if I was a footballer, I was like, oh, do you mind if I put um, Jane Doe on by Converge, please? <laughs> like, no, 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 not listening to that. You can hear it now, can't you? Because that's what usually what happens when I go <laughs> out anyway. Um, nice. So the, the other reasoning behind that is the celebration. I always thought if you're, like, a fan of metal or, like hardcore you know it's like heavy screaming bands and things like converge my uh, goal celebration if i scored at goodison i thought i've thought about this for years yeah be would be running to the corner flag swinging an imaginary mic and you know how metal bands do that sometimes swinging the imaginary mic on the cable into the air catching it and then screaming on my knee and that and then <laughs> That would be my celebration because i love that kind of music <laughs> yeah. um so that was that was my method then with why converge would be the the song for that
1: perfect mate that's excellent i think we're gonna also we'll get some picks for a match day playlist from you and we'll put those up onto Yesterday, the, the yeah. spotify playlist everyone will by this point know where to find it um I think that brings us to an end so mo thank you oh, it's been emotional. so much it's been for joining us this has been a lot of fun like i
3: really appreciate it's it there... been a lovely way to
1: spend a saturday afternoon yeah well now you can go and enjoy the old uh, the Merseyside derby if you want um, is oh, there anything anything you'd like to plug before you leave anything you'd know, any part uh, final comments or things people need to know um i think
3: you need to know that i love my wife very much Oh. <laughs> uh, she's downstairs now i can hear her talking but um yes yeah, you'll probably listen back to this and it'll make her really happy so. okay brilliant. Brilliant. and um, listen and, to yeah, the hopeless record out yeah in with excellent <laughs> cheers Bo. thanks a lot no worries at all thanks a lot i really appreciate it
1: Thanks to Mo for joining us. Um, Lonely the Braves' new album, The Hope List, is out now. Uh, go buy it, stream it, because it's really fucking good. Um, Matt, what are the social
2: handles? Where can people get in touch? At uh, Heavy Metal FTBL on Twitter and at X Heavy Metal Football X on Instagram. Or alternatively, email us at pod.heavymetalfootball at gmail.com. That was one <laughs> to remember. Mate, um, it's so fucking long. Yeah, and yeah, that's that one.
1: Wicked. That'll do us for this week. Um, We'll be back next week with another episode. See you later. Bye.